your Bibles, uh, we're kind of uh, we're kind of flopping around a little bit through here. Um, if this is your first time here, my name is Glenn, and I'm kidding. I love it. You laugh every time I do that joke. It's fantastic. No, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my turn uh, to get to share with you. Uh, if you open up your study notes, you'll see there's nothing there. So. You can pretty much use it to doodle or write your own notes or write a love letter to your spouse, whatever you want to do. I'm not as educated as Glenn, so I don't have all that fancy stuff. Uh, but if you don't mind, let's, can we pray? Because um, this has been, a, okay, the whole week I've been going, God, why do I get this one out of the whole story? I mean, who's been following on the story? Who's been reading through the story? Yeah, this isn't the fun message. I'm like, really, Glenn? You think this was an accident? I'm going to get you back for this one. But it's, uh, if the shoe fits, wear it. We're going to just, we got to humble ourselves before God and ask him, God, is there something that I'm not doing that's right or that's not right to you? And so if you don't mind, I just want to pray and make sure that we're ready for what he wants to share with us. Jesus, we need you to humble our hearts by your Holy Spirit to listen to you. We need your grace to move forward in what it is you call us to do. God, for those who are here this morning who need to repent, Father, I pray that you enable them to do just that. God, we all struggle with things, and that's true, but I really believe that this is a message today that is really for those who are just on that, they're on the line about making that decision that's going to mess up everything for the rest of their lives. So God, I pray you keep us humble, teach us as only you can. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, Amen. First, we start in First Chronicles chapter 20. If, uh, if you weren't here last week, you haven't been following along, and this is maybe your first week. Last week, we talked about David. I mean, David, you know David? Even if you weren't brought up in the church, you know David and who? Goliath. Remember in the great story? The 15-year-old kid comes out because his, his dad says, go visit your brothers on, on the battlefield, which just sounds weird, doesn't it, in our culture? It's kind of, hey, go check on your brothers. Where are they? They're at war. All right, I'll go. I mean, as a 15-year-old, who doesn't want to go watch that? So he goes out there, sees this huge nine-foot giant come out. He's mocking the armies of God. He starts mocking God. And so David's sitting there going, I'll take him. I got this guy. Just walks up to Saul. Hey, let me go. He gave a challenge. I'll drop him. That's the original Hebrew. It doesn't say that there, but that's kind of what he's saying. So, So he goes out. And with a sling and a rock, and I know, we, I know we brought up this, like, just takes him down, hits the ground. And then how cool is this as a 15-year-old kid getting to run up to this giant, take out his sword, and cut off his head. Now that is great television. And you know what he got out of it? He didn't have to pay taxes. Amen? Isn't that fantastic? I guess you all like paying taxes. I'm like, sign me up. I don't care what happens to me after that. Okay, no taxes. And he gets the king's daughter to be his wife. He got money and a woman as a 15-year-old. Notoriety, publicity. Everyone's social media. Everyone's tweeting about him. Everyone loves King David. At David the Goliath Slayer. Boom, dot com. That's him. Everything changed. And all of a sudden, songs are being sung about him. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Uh Uh-oh. Saul doesn't like that. Why? How come he got more than I did? 
So then he, he chases David for 15 years, even though David had already been anointed king. But for 15 years, he ran from Saul. Why? What was the purpose of the 15 years? I mean, it's weird that when God gives this promise and it doesn't happen immediately, we sit there and go, God, what happened? Why are you late? Did you forget? And I wonder how often God's sitting there going, I'm going to fulfill my promise. You are just not ready to receive it yet. It's kind of like the lottery. Has anyone here ever prayed for the lottery? Just the people giggling. We won't raise our hand. Mm -mm. But yeah, wouldn't it be nice? All of a sudden you didn't play it, but you won. How'd that happen? Don't argue, don't argue. And I've I've never gotten it. I've never had someone come with a check. Why? Because God knows I couldn't handle it. You know how many people's lives are <laughs> completely messed up after they win the lottery? So you know, maybe, maybe, maybe God said they're going, man, I know you can't handle it. So I got to take care of you. You are not going to get that. Please. Nope. For 15 years, David runs for his life, learns to rely upon God in everything. And God delivers him. And God, or David sees God do amazing things. And those 15 years are what prepared him to be what? One of the greatest leaders we've ever seen. He had a heart for his people. How do you know? He had a shepherd's heart by nature. Why? Because think about it. The bear shows up when he's a little kid to take just maybe one or two of his sheep. And what's he do? He kills it. How many of you would sit there and go, I got this. You want, no, no, no. You want some of this? And then go after the bear. Don't sit there and go, I would. No, you wouldn't. I'd be run, ah, take off. And then the lion shows up, Aslan shows up. And he kills that. Puts his life on the line. 15 years runs for his own. And then he becomes king. And victory after victory after victory after victory. And you sit and go, if I could be like David, why? Think about it. God gives him this title, a man after my own heart. What an incredible title. I mean, years and years and years ago when I was looking at passages going, David, a man after God's heart. So they're, God, how do I become that? Like, I want to know that you said, okay, that's Brian, a man after my own heart. Like, how do I become that? And it was kind of like one of those duh moments with the Holy Spirit. He's like, uh, this is it. If you want to be a man after my own heart, just be a man after my own heart. Oh. Are you after the heart of God? Or are you just into God so you get his stuff? Are you after the heart of God? Is it really all about Jesus no matter what comes? Or do I do just this Jesus thing so that I get everything that I've ever wanted? I get blessing all. If I do this, then Jesus will bless me with that. And if I do this, then he'll bless me with that. And if I do this, and here's the thing. If we did that to anyone else on the planet, if we treated that relationship... That way when we treat Jesus sometimes, if we treated anyone else on the planet like that, I don't think they would stay our friends. I'm your friend to see what I can get out of it. Or are we people, men and women, who are actually after the heart of God, where it's all about God? And some will say, Brian, you know, I've been following the Lord for a long time, and I know, I get it. Brian, I've been following Jesus longer than you've been alive. Awesome. I, I'm, I'm thankful. I really am. But if it comes out of a heart of pride, all that you've told me is that you're older than I am. So that doesn't really do much for me. Guys, there's never a point, catch this. There's never, there's never a point in walking with Jesus where we can go on cruise control. 
And you'll see this. If you look at 1 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, the, team when, the, the time when kings go out to battle, Joab led out the army and ravaged the country of the Ammonites and came and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And then after that, it just talks about all the victories. I mean, 1 Chronicles 20 is just talking about how great David was. And we sit there and go, see? But here's the thing. You take that same passage, you look at First Chronicles, Chronicles chapter 20, and now compare it to Second Samuel chapter 11, and you get the behind-the-scenes look. You get to see what's behind the scenes. We like the stuff that, oh, success and victory. We like those things, but all of a sudden we get to this. Chapter 11, verse 1 of Second Samuel. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. You're like, so far is the exact same thing. Then you get to verse two. It happened. Uh oh. Something's changed. Because you ever notice when you screw up and you have to try to describe to someone or explain to somebody why that happened? You usually say, I don't know what happened. It just happened. It happened. See, scripture knows we're going to use that as an excuse. But I heard this old Chinese proverb on the radio this week. It says that those who are really good at making excuses are usually good at nothing else. <laughs> so you sit and go, I've got an excuse for everything. It's probably because you're no good at anything. Think about it. Adam and Eve, when they're confronted by God, what do they do? They start throwing excuses. I mean, Adam, the loving husband, the one who will protect his wife from everyone and everything. God says, Adam, what did you do? Ah, well, first of all, it's your fault. And then it's this woman you gave me. I mean, you gave me this naked woman to marry, and this, I mean, she just got me all captivated. So you did it, and she did it, and God runs to her. What did you do? Well, the devil made me do it. And God looks at the enemy, and he just smiles. Yep, I broke it. It's like he's the only one that fesses up. So we make excuses. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house because that's where we all are at some point of the day. If you need to take a walk, you just go on the roof. <laughs> just, I'm just here to see the view because it's my roof. Now I'm sure his was a little bit better than ours, but he's on the roof. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Here's one of the reasons I love the Bible. One, David's walking along, sees a woman bathing. And she's a hottie. The Bible says it. Bathsheba was hot. Now, isn't it weird? Someone else brought me this, but I've never seen this before. Someone from the last service comes up and says, hey, have you ever noticed what her name was? And what he watched her doing? Bathsheba? Who cares? Okay, that didn't work out real well. But... <laughs> So here's the thing. The first part, you look at verse one. In the spring of the year, the, the time when kings go out to battle, the time when kings go out to battle, where was David? He stayed home. Well, I've fought enough. I'm done. You ever notice that when we sin, it's usually where we're not supposed to be? We use this, the wrong place at the wrong time. Guys, if it's the wrong place, it's always the wrong time. When it comes to us obeying Jesus, if you're in the wrong place, it's always the wrong place and the wrong time. Where should David have been? On the battlefield. He should have been on the battlefield with his men. Why? Because that's where the kings go. 
What if he had been there? Guess what? This would never have happened. But he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And then it happened. So he sees. He's tempted. He could have just jumped off the roof. Gone back to his couch. Gone and talked to someone. What's he do? And David sent and inquired about the woman. He's taken a little farther. So they say, well, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Because where did it begin? The look. And he had a choice. And he kept going. He sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, it doesn't say who it was. doesn't say their role in the house. It just says, and one. doesn't say it's a man or a woman. Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? It's almost like, David, do you understand what you're asking? I mean, this is, this is someone's daughter. And she's married to Uriah. You know Uriah. He's one of your 30 mighty men. He is one of your bodyguards. This is the guy that goes to battle for you, that protects you, would give up his life for you. It's kind of like, don't you remember who she, I mean, this is Uriah's wife. And you would think that maybe that would get through to him. What's his response? So David sent messengers and took her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she, I'm sorry, go verse four. Took her and she came to him and lay with her. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, uh uh-oh. And she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. Oh no. You remember that situation you got into that was too big for you? You thought, how am I gonna get out of this? Oh, and I pray my parents never find out. Because if they find out, I'm dead, or I'm praying for the rapture. I mean, it's one or the other. Maybe for this morning, that I get, maybe I get to be the one. And guys, I've really struggled all week. I'm like, I don't like preaching these passages. But I made a commitment to Jesus a long time ago that I will teach your truth, whatever you want to be shared, no matter the response, and hopefully it's done out of grace and love, but maybe for some of you, you need to be woken up and I'm the one that's saying, what are you thinking? Do not cross that line. Say, well, we all struggle with sin, absolutely, but there's the key word, we struggle with it. We are all tempted every day. Here's the thing, if you are tempted every day by something, do me a favor, put your hand up. Fantastic, and then those that aren't, you're being tempted right now to lie. We're tempted every day. And so I understand there's struggles and there's these constant struggles and so we're battling against those. We're trying to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Jesus. But someone, maybe someone here, you're at that line where you are about to just not make the mistake but rebel against God. And maybe I get to be the one going, don't do it. Don't do it. But Brian, they show me more attention than my spouse does. Don't do it. But I can't stand her anymore. Don't leave. That maybe I get to be the voice. I get to be the one saying, please don't do that. And that you would return. But David doesn't. And he gets the word from her, I'm pregnant. 
So here's what the man after God's own heart does. He says, well, I gotta fix this. So brings Uriah in. Hey, Uriah, come here. Hey, before you go off to battle, I need you to do me a favor. <laughs> do me a favor. Go back and be with your wife. Yeah, just take a, it's like a vacation. Go back and be with, you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean by be with your wife? Be with her. Remember the sex ed class? Leave it there. Okay, so go be with her. Because then if he does, then she can say, I'm pregnant. And they say, it's Uriah's kid. And he's clear. But Uriah, being a man of honor, sleeps in the courtyard with the rest of the soldiers going, I can't go home and be with my wife. This is where all my men are. So that didn't work. Strike one. So David says, okay, Uriah, you and I are going to party. We're going to party. So he has this sweet, he has this sweet food out. And then he gets Uriah drunk. Now, David sounds like a fantastic guy so far. Gets him drunk. Hopefully, he'll stagger home and go be with his wife. Same thing can happen. Same thing. Uriah, that's your son. Congratulations. Yeah. Doesn't do it. Sleeps in the courtyard. So David's got to fix it. So he writes a letter to Joab, who's in charge of the army, saying this. Do me a favor. When... When you're in battle, go to the place where the fighting is fiercest and put Uriah there. And then when it gets really bad, pull everyone back and let Uriah die. Signed, David, seals it, hands it to Uriah and says, give this to Joab. He signs the murder letter, then gives it to Uriah and Uriah is to be murdered. Uriah is carrying his own murder letter the whole way to Joab. And it happens. When it gets horribly fierce, everyone pulls back. Uriah is killed. Word gets back to David. Word gets back to Bathsheba. She mourns. He takes her to be his wife. Now it looks fine. Why? Because the kid is going to be mine. It happened when we were married. Done. And months go by. Verse, or chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord said to Nathan, or sent Nathan to David. Nathan's a prophet. He came to him and said to him, okay, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. In fact, it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Oh, isn't Nathan a great storyteller? It's like, oh, there's this rich guy. He has a lot, but there's this poor guy. And he bought this little ewe lamb. And he was like, oh, wow, that's great. I remember when I was a little kid, I had my own little ewe lamb. It's like, oh, yeah. I mean, this thing, this thing was like its own, like a kid. In fact, he would feed it just from his own plate, just give him food. I don't like doing that, but that's what you, And then he would let this little lamb drink from his cup. Okay, that's wrong. But it's, you know what he's doing. He's drawing him in. Okay, drawing. He would let him drink his cup. And then he would hold him in his arms just like a little daughter. And he's like, I love this guy. This is so fantastic. Now, he's like, what? Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. Guys, this is a story. And David's like, I'm done. I'm ready. You know, he's the guy that cried at all the chick flicks. He's all emotional. Even like, for, oh, some of you cry like four times over the same movie. It gets to the end going, come on. 
ding, and it did it again. And you're just crying over the same thing. This is David. He's all ticked off over a story. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. It's a strong words. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now it's not like, you're the man. It wasn't like that. It was, you are that man. Now this is where it all changes for Nathan. Why? He has to be completely obedient to God. Think about it. How terrifying does it have to be to go, okay, I've got to say what to who? Guys, sometimes we won't even confront our friend who can do nothing to us except not like us. If I say that, they're not going to like me. Nathan says, if I say that, he might get ticked and I could die. So he gets David all into the story. And Nathan just looks at David and says, catch this. You are that guy. And drops it just like that. Oh, can you, can you picture the tension? Thus says the Lord. This is when you pay attention. When a prophet says this, this is coming straight from God. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And I'll catch this. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. It's like, I've done everything for you, David. I delivered you. I provided. I gave you more than you could ever imagine. I made you king. And if this, all this wasn't enough, all you would have to do is ask. And I would have given so much more. It's like, what were you thinking? Now watch this. What a strong statement. What a strong question. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? The word despised is also translated abhorred or hated. And I wonder how much this stung because here he's speaking to David. David would be the same guy who, who penned out Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all the Bible. And do you know what it's about? It's about how much he loves the commands of God, the statutes of God, the requirements of God. He loves the word of God. And here in this one question, God says, why have you despised my word? You've despised my word to do what is evil in his sight, in God's sight. And friends, we are so good at justifying our sin. And for some of you, maybe you're right in the middle of it, and you say, Brian, I found a verse, or a part of a verse. And I was just reading, I was just having time before we came up here this morning, in Matthew 4, when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, do you realize that Satan actually uses scripture to try to tempt Jesus? How desperate do you have to get? to try to tempt God with his own word. He says, doesn't the scripture also say this? And then doesn't it say this? And so for some of you, I'm asking, as you're justifying your sin, whose interpretation of scripture are you following? God's or the devil's? Because the devil has his own interpretation to get us to do things that are evil in God's sight. He says, why have you despised the word of God? And you've done what is evil in his sight. Well, what did I do? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the swords 
of the Ammonites. Which part of David's sin did God repeat twice? Betrayal. You murdered Uriah. You took his wife. Oh, by the way, you murdered him. And he calls him out. You know what it shows me is that God knows. So when we're in prayer and we're sharing gossip, I mean, prayer requests, well, sorry. We're sharing prayer requests, not gossip, because we're sharing prayer requests and we start sharing with everyone, hey, this is, I want you to pray for my friend and this is what they're doing and all the people they've done it with. And we just really need to pray because we need to make sure of all the information because God needs to know everything that this person is doing. So here's everything out there. Now let's pray. And I think that God sits and goes, I'm not listening to that. That's not request. That's gossip. And what does God say about gossip? He abhors it. Maybe some of you are divisive. You love drama. Little drama king, drama queen walking around. You're like a soap opera star. God doesn't sit there. He's not going to give you an Emmy. He's going to give you a whooping. God cannot stand divisiveness. He hates it. And well, 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 this is what I stand for. But here's the thing. Just because you stand for it does not mean that Jesus stands with you for it. He confronts it. He knows every single detail. Nathan just brings it out. And I'm wondering if David's sitting there going, how did he know? No one knew this. Except maybe the one. But nobody knew this, and so this must be God. It says now, verse 10, Therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. Uh-oh. That's not happy, God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We like that one. We don't really like the your rod and your staff. Staff leading the rod is kind of like the one he kind of smacks us around with a little bit. They comfort me. No, no, I don't want that. God says there's punishment coming, and David has a choice. He can do what Adam and Eve did and make excuses, or he can do what he did. Watch this. I have sinned against the Lord. Six words. I've sinned against the Lord. Uriah is murdered. Bathsheba, he, had, he, he committed adultery with. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. So we have to realize that our sin, first and foremost, is an offense against God. It affects people around us. But when I sin against someone, I'm sinning against God first. And so David goes right to the root. I have sinned against God. Now watch Nathan's words. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your Sin. Wow. Whenever I hear people say, oh, the Old Testament's the mean, nasty ogre God, and the New Testament's the Jesus happy hippie God. That's, I like the New Testament because he's happier. Guys, do you see right there? 
Six words. David just looked at Nathan and says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan goes, you're forgiven. Done. Christians, I wish we could be as quick to forgive. Who are we to hold on to a grudge when God says, I've forgiven them? Oh, no, but you don't understand what happened to me. But I understand what happened to Jesus because of you and me. We forgive. How do I know if they're really sorry? I'm going to say this as nicely as I can. You are not God. And they owe you nothing. When they've asked for forgiveness, our response is, your sin has been put away. You will not die. But nevertheless, now this is God's thing. This is his role. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And guys, I'm not going to lie. When we sit there and look at that, that just doesn't seem fair, right? If you sit there and go, it's fair. That doesn't seem fair. The little little baby gets affected by this. I don't sit there and go, what? Well, God's off the hook. I don't like that verse. Is it okay to say that in church? That's a verse in the Bible I'm not a big fan of. But... God is the ultimate, merciful, most gracious, most forgiving, and most just judge ever. And his judgment is perfect. Brian, that's not fair. Friends, we gave up, we gave up fair in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, we gave up fair there. We don't want fair. I use this all the time. We don't want fair. We want grace. Fair means that I pay for my sin. Grace means that Jesus took a cross for me because of me. I mean, we love him. Jesus died for you. Oh, I'm so thankful he did that because I really needed him. I mean, I'm not horrible. I'm not like that guy. Like, point to the person next to you who's just worse than you are. Don't do that. I'm just joking. But I'm not like this person. I'm not like that. We can think of somebody who's a lot worse than us. I'm not that person. So let's just get all on level, level field. Jesus took a cross for us because of us. Period. I'm not that bad. Think about what brought all the problem. They took a bite of fruit. Have you done worse than that? then we deserve hell. But God in his mercy and his grace, see, we don't want fair. We want grace. And how's the passage in? And Nathan went home. That's it. There you go. Just drops the bomb. David gets it. Oh, I'm sin. I'm sorry. Oh, see you later. And it just goes home. Hey, how was your day? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. It was a really tough day. Had to call the king, of the, king, king, the king of Israel out because he was, oh, I just want to talk about it. David confessed and was forgiven. And then he wrote Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is directly connected to this whole experience. I mean, read it sometime. I'm just going to read a few verses out of verse 8. It says, let me hear joy and gladness. Catch this, this phrase blows my mind. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And he's talking to God. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. 
Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He says, oh, thank you for forgiveness. And now this, help me obey. Give me a willing spirit to do whatever and anything that you want me to do. I don't ever want to go back to that. I repent. I return. And then what does he say next? He wants to reach. Watch this. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. The truly forgiven have to share the message of forgiveness. The truly forgiven, when we understand how much we've been forgiven of, when we get it, when, we're, when we have to drop before God and go, I can't believe you have completely forgiven me of all of this. I have to tell someone about your forgiveness. I have to tell those who are not forgiven that there is forgiveness because of Jesus. I have to. Restore in me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing heart. And some of you are sitting here going, oh, this is, I'm broken. But what do I have to offer God? I mean, Brian, this is a hard hitter. Brian, hey, is Glenn coming back next week? Yes. He probably won't, I don't, probably don't get to preach for like a year. They'll stick me in the closet. I mean, yeah, actually, but here's the thing. What do, you, what do you have to offer? You're so broke. You're like, I've got nothing. No, no, no. Watch this. Watch this. This is so good. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God, catch this, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. What sacrifice does God accept from you? A broken heart, a contrite spirit. And God says, you offer that. I will never despise you. Wow. So is there any arrogance? No. But for some of you, and guys, I, last night I'm like, well, if I gotta preach it, I gotta ask it. God, is there anything in my life? Just sat there for an hour with God's, God, is there anything in my life? Because this message is not fun. Is there anything in my life that is not pleasing to you that I'm, or maybe I'm right on the line and I need that one to warn me. So I come before you and say, guys, maybe you're on the line. I'm begging you, please don't cross it. Find someone to keep you accountable. I told Jesus. No, the scriptures say, confess your sins one to another that you might experience healing. Some of you have been telling Jesus all about it, but your, but your actions are no different. Why? Because you can't see him. But when you have that accountability person, someone who's walking life with you knows every struggle, every hang up, every single insecurity that you're facing, you're striving to love Jesus and they're walking with you and you have to see them every week. Are you kidding me? I can guarantee you that Jesus will use that person to help us change the way that we live. So you say, well, I told God. Great. Now get in Community. And some of you have given up some of the greatest friends you could ever have because they actually loved you enough to tell you the truth. I don't like them. I don't like what they said. Stop being 12. 
He gave you an amazing friendship, a person that whose, whose wounds can be trusted because they loved you enough to tell you the hard stuff. So maybe I'm the one that says, please don't cross. And maybe for others of you, I'm the one that's saying, you are that person. And you've offended God. Well, nobody else knows. He does, and he will not relent until it's dealt with. Why? Because he knows that sin will kill and destroy us, and he loves us too much to leave us in its wake. Brian, if I do this, my life's going to get ruined. Friends, you ruined it when you made the decision. But now you got to make it right. The prayer room is going to be open. Now, I don't want you to think, like some of you, it's, and it's prayer for everything. It's not like, oh all, the, oh, all the confessions, go, get to the room, and everyone's watching, taking pictures. Oh, my gosh. Wonder, it's like when you go to the doctor's office and you're sitting next, wonder what they have. I mean, it's like, oh, I wonder what they did. So it's not that. Prayer is open for everything, but for some of you, maybe what you need to deal with is that thing. And you need to get it out and be freed. And return Repent. Guys, I know that these aren't popular words and popular terms. We don't like using the word repent. But I'd rather teach the message of Jesus who said repent for the kingdom of God is near than to just make sure that people feel good when they leave. Because I believe Jesus is the greatest good and you will not experience the greatest good in Jesus if there is sin in the way. So if you have any critiques, my email address is PeterT <laughs> at. And guys, I know it's not a fun message, but it's so right and so necessary. And I'm thinking maybe for those of you that came, you haven't been to church forever, and this is the first time you've been back. Some people wonder, oh, what do you think a non-Christian's thinking during a message like this? I think that they're sitting there going, finally. Finally, somebody who's going after followers of Jesus to make sure we're living the way that Jesus wants us to live because they're really tired of watching people proclaim Christ and watch them live as if they're citizens of hell. But God says, come back. When you say, I sinned against the Lord, understand his response. I have put away your sin. I have forgiven you. And walk with him. Friends, I know (laughs) it's not popular, but it's necessary. My whole goal, I pray, God, let me teach your truth with grace and love. But what's necessary? That we would live lives that are set apart for Jesus, by Jesus, and with Jesus. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand as I read this and we'll pray You guys are free to go. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Jesus, we thank you. For I'm convinced that every single one of us who have come to know you and surrender to you can say, God, all that I can offer you is a broken and contrite heart. And God, I thank you that you do not despise that. You say thank you. 
Every time, God, you say, I take it. God, I thank you for the times that you have broken us so that you can heal us. So Holy Spirit, help us take your message and do what's necessary in our own lives and to deal with the things that we have done. And God, thank you for saving us, rescuing us that we might know you. To you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of Christ's followers say, amen. Love you more than you know. We'll see you next week.